0: You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
1: Welcome to Guardians Weekly on the Cleveland Guardians radio network. Guardians Weekly is brought to you by Progressive, helping Guardians fans save hundreds on car insurance.
2: everyone, Jim Rosenhouse with you for Guardians Weekly. And it's great to have you with us from Progressive Field in downtown Cleveland as we talk baseball on the radio for the next hour. Coming up in the second half of our show, we will take a listen back to a fun interview that Tom Hamilton did during this past regular season with New York Yankees broadcaster Susan Waldman, a pioneer in the game as she became the first female broadcaster on a regular basis to be a part of a major league broadcast team, and she teams with John Sterling to give the Yankees a fun listen on a nightly basis. We will also take a look back at one of the great days for Jim Tomey, the baseball Hall of Famer, Indians Hall of Famer, who was in the news earlier this week as he was announced as the new president of the Major League Baseball Players Alumni Association, just the fourth in that long history of a great organization that does so much good for young players in baseball we're talking about the little guys growing the game at the grassroots level and he replaces Brooks Robinson who had been the president of that organization for 33 years and if you know Jim Tomey he will do a great job at it and we'll relive the uh, statue award ceremony for Jim Tomey here in Cleveland back in 2014 a great day with some outstanding comments by him the day that uh, the statue was unveiled of Jim Tomey out in right center field beyond the gates uh, at Progressive Field. So some good stuff coming up. Hope you can stay with us. We'll get right to it after this short break on the Cleveland Clinic Guardians Radio Network.
1: Progressive presents Forest Metaphors.
0: About bundling your home and auto.
3: Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: Tommy drills one high, and deep to center. Away, way, way back. Gone, deep into the picnic plaza and that might have even got out of the ballpark. Jim Tommy has just left Jacobs Field onto Eagle Avenue.
2: Welcome back to Guardians Weekly. Jim Rosenhouse along with you this weekend. And whenever we talk, Jim Tomey, it is uh, with great reverence to one of the outstanding careers, not only for the Indians, but in Major League Baseball. 612 home runs for the Hall of Famer. 337 came in a Cleveland uniform, and that remains the franchise career record for home runs. All-star appearances, five of them, a Silver Slugger Award, and a Hall of Famer, in 2018 and back in 2014 the indians unveiled a statue of the organization great and uh, we listen in now as uh, we relive that day with tom hamilton on the mic hosting the activities ladies
1: and gentlemen good afternoon and welcome to a very special day here at progressive field It is fitting that we are here at Heritage Park. This is the place where we honor excellence for those that have worn the Indians' uniform. The brightest stars, the most memorable moments in our rich history are honored right here in Heritage Park. And today, we salute one of the very best. Today, we salute a man who for 11 seasons powered the Indians during a period when they were one of the most feared teams in all of Major League Baseball a man who spent 11 years in a Cleveland Indians uniform, a man who ranks in the top 10 in 10 different offensive categories, including the Indians all-time home run leader and the number one Indians on base on balls, second in RBIs, third in on-base percentage, and slugging percentage. He thrilled Tribe fans time and time again with his power and his late-game heroics. Please welcome five-time All-Star, number seven on baseball's all-time home run list, a member of the exclusive 600 home run club, Jim Tomey. Jim's journey to this moment in time is a story built on consistency, dependability, professionalism, power, and character. Before we unveil the statue and before Jim says a few words, we will hear from a few of his colleagues. Joining us today to help celebrate this special day, we would first like to say hello to Jim's family. Please welcome Jim's partner in life and a lady who's always been behind him every step of the way. Andrea Tomey. And their pride and joys, Lila and Landon. Jim's father, Chuck. Jim's brother, Chuck, and his wife, Jada. Jim's brother, Randy, and his wife, Terry. Jim's sister, Lori, and her husband, Frank. Jim's sister, Jennifer, and her husband, Johnny. And it goes without saying, another person who was always behind Jim in this journey and who is smiling down today And the greatest seat of all in heaven is Jim's mom, Joyce. I know I speak for everyone here that's ever had a chance to get to know Jimmy. You can talk about the home runs. You can talk about the game winners. He'll be in Cooperstown's Hall of Fame in a few years. But this man is no different today than he was when he first came up with the Cleveland Indians. And that's a credit to Jim and to a credit to his mom and dad. Now leading it off to a man who had the pleasure of managing Jimmy for 9 seasons. Please welcome former Tribe skipper, Indians Hall of Famer and the man that guided the Indians to two World Series, Mike Hargrove.
4: Well, I you know, it's nice to be here uh, to take part in this, Jimmy. Uh, to see your family. Um, I'm going to be short because I was asked to be short. Um, But for all those of you that say, how did Jimmy get big, look at his brothers and his dad, and you never would have thought you'd see Jim Tomey, and you'd think it would, but but it's there. You know, it's it's an old saying in baseball that good players make uh, managers and general managers and hitting coaches real smart. Uh, Obviously, uh, Jimmy has done his part. And we all talk about statistics and all the home runs and all the World Series and the, and the All-Star games uh, that, that, uh, that he's been a part of and the accomplishments he's had in his life. I think too often we in baseball don't talk about who the person is inside. With Jimmy, everybody asks they always ask me about Jimmy and, and, and say, what kind of guy is Jimmy? You know, just like they ask what kind of guy is Kenny Lofton or Carlos Baerga or John Hart. I lie when, it, when, when it's about John, but the rest of them, I tell the truth. Um... And I always say, you know, I always say with Jimmy, Jimmy is, you know, what you see is what you get. There's no difference in Jimmy away from the ballpark as it, as it was at the ballpark. As a manager, I always ask my players to give me 100% of whatever effort they had that day. And at times you'd have a, you know, you had a late dinner come to the ballpark, you'd have a fight with your wife or your kids were, uh, you know, a pain that day. And, and you might have only 80%. And I ask my players to always at least give that 100% of that 80 that you've got that night. I only had to tell that to Jimmy one time when he was a young kid. Um, I never worried about Jim. I never worried what kind of effort I was going to get. I never had to look and make sure he was in the right place at the right time. Jimmy, was the kind of guy that made my job real easy. So for all those people that, that have said for a long, long time uh, that good players make smart managers and general managers and coaches, you know, Jimmy, I don't want to thank you on behalf of anybody or anything. I want to thank you personally. Um, for being my friend, for playing for me, and making me and John and Charlie real, real smart.
1: <laughs> Thank you, Grover. As we inch closer to our unveiling ceremony, we are reminded that Jimmy joined this organization as an 18 year in 1989. He was a 13th-round draft pick out of Illinois Central College. And don't forget, Jimmy also played college basketball at that time. Now, through tireless hard work and dedication, Jimmy became one of baseball's elite power hitters, one of only eight players to have ever hit 600 home runs in the major leagues. He sits along the names of Hank Aaron, Ken Griffey Jr., Willie Mays, and Babe Ruth. Jim, this statue will forever serve to remind Indians fans of your on-the-field accomplishments and of your importance to the Indians franchise, both professionally and personally. Jimmy, it's time to unveil this wonderful piece of artwork created by Cleveland's very own David Deming. David, please stand and be recognized. Where's David? Are you ready, Jimmy? Stage is yours, ready for the unveiling.
5: God, that is incredible!
0: (laughs) Wow, you deserve it. Thank you. It's all
5: yours. Just so you know, Mark, I'm nervous too. (laughs) It feels so good to be home again, in this ballpark where it all began. I'm so grateful to so many individuals within the Cleveland Indians organization. Mark Shapiro, John Hart, Chris Antonetti, Curtis Danberg, and the list goes on and on. This is a night my family will never forget. We are so thankful that you made this happen. I'm a little uncomfortable seeing myself in bronze. It's an emotional feeling. But I have to commend the sculptor, David Deming. You are a true artist, and what you've done is absolutely amazing. The time that we got to spend together to do this, to go over this, was truly so special to me I don't think words can describe. So thank you, David. Appreciate it. Seeing the seeing the statue in person reminds me so much of the mid '90s teams that I played on. I look at the statue, and I, I think it reflects a lot of our '90s teams. There's so many guys worthy of having this as well. You know, I, I have a few teammates here today. I'd like to thank Mark Clark, Richie Sexton, Sandy. You were always my first roomie. I appreciate everything you did. We almost fought in that tunnel in Seattle, but we made up, and you know what? We got to be close, and I I will forever. You you are very special to me. Thank you. Carlos Baerga, your energy was absolutely incredible. You kept us going. So fun. Travis Hafner here today. Thanks for coming. It was great to play with you my final year here. I always had a lot of respect for you. And my manager, Mike Hargrove. I appreciate you writing, me, writing my name in the lineup when things always didn't go well, and I appreciate it so much, more than you ever know. I want to thank my family. Mom and Dad, I can still see where they sat under that underhang and cheered every day like they were part of all these great fans and they shared so many great memories with all you guys. I, I'm very grateful and thankful that I was able to meet my wife, Andrea, here in Cleveland. I'm so blessed to have her in my life, she's been the world to me, and we have these two beautiful kids to show worth for it, so I, words can't describe what you mean to me, guys. Thank you. And my brothers and sisters, you know, I appreciate you guys making the trip in with your families. It means so much that uh, that you've stuck by me. and. And rooted me on through all them years. Charlie Manuel, I kind of feel like you should be in bronze here with me. You did help teach me that stance after all. But more importantly, I think you taught me so much more about the game. And that's how to conduct yourself to be a tough player, even when you were a little hurt to run yourself out there, because you never know what could happen. And I so appreciate that so much. I'm forever grateful. Finally, most importantly, I want to thank the fans. It gives me goosebumps to think back of that night in 1995, September 8th, when I caught that foul ball, and it started everything from there on. You guys always had everything in the ballpark, like the the, the frenzy that you had every night was incredible. Thank you so much. You fans deserve a championship. These players, this organization, this co- these coaches, Tito, These guys work hard every day to try to bring a championship here to Cleveland. And on that cold October night, when you guys finally get it, you can bet I'm going to be celebrating right with you. So thank you. There's one more small order of business I want to take care of while I'm here. I haven't officially retired yet. I always had hope that I could do it as a Cleveland Indian. This afternoon, I signed an honorary one-day contract so that I could so that I could, so that I could make a dream come true. I'm humbled and grateful to announce after 25 year career, I am officially retiring tonight as a member of the Cleveland Indians. Thank you.
2: Great day in 2014, August the 2nd. The 12 foot bronze statue of Jim Tomey unveiled right here at Progressive Field. Stay with us, we have more to come as Guardians Weekly continues after this timeout on the Cleveland Clinic Guardians Radio Network. What a
0: career!
2: Welcome back to Guardians Weekly. Jim Rosenhouse back with you as we join you from Progressive Field, downtown Cleveland. Great to have you with us. And we take a listen back to uh, a really fun interview during the course of this season. Uh, we haven't been able to catch up with Tom Hamilton very much uh, over the off season, And, of course, spring training delayed, so that's delayed that. But always fun to hear Hammy interview uh, some of those who make this a great game. And certainly one of people is Susan Waldman, who's a broadcaster on the Yankees radio network, along with John Sterling, and they bring you uh, Yankees baseball night in and night out, and she is a pioneer for women in sports broadcasting. Some great stories here, including relationships with some Yankee legends like George Steinbrenner and Mel Allen and uh, all kinds of good stuff. So uh, let's listen in as uh, Hammy and Susan Waldman talk about her tremendous career. I know you're probably tired of being called
1: a pioneer, but you have been. And you're doing something that no other woman has ever done. Does it get tiring for you to always have to answer these kind of questions and what it's mean to other women in the industry?
6: No, because actually, and pioneer, all it means to me is i a old. I mean, that's all <laughs> that, that means. But what I see now is young women that I can name you seven young ladies off the top of my head that are in the minor leagues doing play-by-play. A lot of it I know um, is l- the ones that are from around here is because they heard me as children. I mean, little girls, three and four, they heard a woman's voice on the air doing baseball. So where we all tried so hard to imitate guys like you with the voices and the cadence, I I mean, I, I'm good at what I do, but I don't have it. I don't have that cadence because I had to learn it. It's not intrinsic to me. I do the best I can, <laughs> but, I, but I hear it in those young women. I hear it because, you know, you, if you can't see it, you can't be it. I really believe that. And so I tried, and the people that are my age, we, we all tried, but it's those young women that had no idea that this wasn't for them and they're out there and what it also means is as you know they're in the minor leagues they're working by themselves and so they know, they're going to know everything and I can't wait for you know I hope I'm around to see it in 10 years <laughs> but that's the good part of this that is the good part of it and it took a couple of generations because now they're three generations removed from me and that's okay I just hope I get to see that when it really is there.
1: Susan, you've been so successful in many areas, and I know you're very humble about it, and you don't like talking about it, but you made it on Broadway. I mean, you starred in in one of the great musicals of all time, The Man of La Mancha, and, and now doing what you do with the New York Yankees. I mean, do you ever sit back and go... Holy cow, this has been quite a life.
6: No, absolutely not. Because to me, and I've said this to you and everybody goes poo-poo, I did not become what I wanted to be in theater. I worked all the time. I was not famous. There's a difference. I wanted to be a star on Broadway, but there already was Barbara Streisand. <laughs> there already was Mary Martin. Those people were that I emulated, they were already there. This is something different. This, this particular career I'm, I'm very proud of. However, there's something about me, and maybe that's the drive I have. I don't think it's good enough, and I don't think it's great. I understand it, and I see it with my head, but my heart says, no, there's more. There's something else I could be doing.
1: How did Broadway prepare you for this, or is there any correlation?
6: Oh my God. This might be the biggest acting part I've ever had in my whole life (laughs) well let me may I tell you one thing and I've said this to people that are in theater and they understand and I always say honey sports broadcasting makes theater which they make movies about about how awful it is it makes it look like nursery school there's nothing I can't handle because of 15 years on Broadway I mean that was because that was as nasty a place and as cutthroat a place that is nursery school compared to this I mean, just think about it. Uh, If there's 30 teams, there's 30 radio jobs for play by play. Mm -hmm. 30! And that means there's 30 analysts. You know, in in theater, it was, no, you're too fat, you're too old, I don't like your voice, Um, I don't like, you know, your hair, whatever. You can take that. What you can't take and what is very unseen here is, nah, people aren't going to respond to your voice, which means they don't like that you're a woman. You can't fight that. Mm-hmm. You know Broadway you took it but this is this is very different this is much more difficult
1: There's so many things you've done that are so unique I mean how does Susan Waldman become friends with Ted Williams and and tell us the story of the advice he gave Ted's young daughter
6: Well <clears throat> When I started going to, to ball games, I was three, and I would go with my grandfather and my little Mary Janes in suits and I, in little dresses and things. And that was in Boston. And I had my own. My grandfather told me it was my old season ticket. It wasn't, but it was my old season ticket. And it was in the first row um, next to the Red Sox on deck circle. I could literally reach out and touch Ted Williams. And this is the fifties. And trust me, no one was there. I mean, you knew everyone in the park. I mean, the nuns that Cardinal Cushing brought on Wednesdays or Thursday. He me how to score. They didn't like that I went outside the boxes, but that was me. <laughs> so I remember one day a man came out, and he had just come back from Korea. And I said to my grandfather, I said, who is that? And he said, that's Ted Williams. Why? And I, and the nuns tell me I say this, and it's in a book, so I must have said it. I evidently said, because if God is a person, that's what he looks like. Wow. And I would go, and I would put my little head into the dugout, and I would wave, and they would wave back. And there was Ted Williams, and there was Bobby Doerr, and there was Johnny Pesky, whom I be, still became friends with and called Uncle Johnny till the day he died. And I was grown-up and an adult. And I saw Teddy over the years, and as a matter of fact, my first interview was sitting alone when the Red Sox were still in Winterhaven when I changed careers. I called him and I said, can I come down? And we sat in a in a on the field by ourselves and he talked to me for an hour I still have a cassette I can't play it on anything but I, I still have it he had uh, asked me his daughter Claudia was about 12 wanted to take voice lessons and I told him the story of my mother dragging me to the New England Conservatory when I was 12 and the voice teacher telling her to bring her back when she's 16 you don't train a woman's voice until it's mature which is 16 or above so I told him that and I said let her sing this is what Miss, Miss Richard said let her sing and uh, the voice won't develop correctly because it's a muscle. And he said, sort of like a pitcher throwing a curveball at 12, right? And I said, yep.
1: (laughs) Susan, we also talked about, I mean, Mel Allen, who even broadcast Cleveland Indians games, I believe, for one year on television, but obviously one of the legendary voices in the history of broadcasting and, and the New York Yankees. You sang at his memorial at St. Patrick's Cathedral. I
6: did. I did. His sister asked me to sing at his funeral, which was in Connecticut, and then George wanted a big memorial, and they filled St. Patrick's. I mean, filled it. And uh, and he asked me. His sister asked me to sing a, a Hebrew prayer, Eli Eli, and uh, also the national anthem, and I did at St. Patrick's. It was. It's one of the the. I think it's one of the perks of knowing George Steinbrenner <laughs> and um, being around and meeting this wonderful man who was so incredibly kind to me that I, I, could never, I could never even thank him enough. He said a sentence to me when things were really bad in the late 80s. It was very bad around here. And he said to me, young lady, don't you ever let anybody push you out of this business. You have an intrinsic love for this game. And, you know, that's all I needed, you know, besides George saying, Waldron, I'm going to make an issue about women in sports. You're it, and I hope you can take it. <laughs> and so we had two things, but that's that's the thing about being around the New York Yankees.
1: George Steinbrenner, I mean, we. I know how much he means to you. Where did that come from? Was it, did he instantly like you, and would you be here today without George?
6: No. George Steinbrenner, except for my mother and my grandfather, is the most important person in my life. Right. And and whatever it was, and he was he would do things to test me when I first met him. You weren't, a, for example, in the old stadium, you were not allowed to go into the elevator if George was there, and so and I'd run down the corridor with the other reporters, and they'd go George, 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 and get in the elevator and go up. I would run up the ramp and be. Um, on the other side of the elevator when he got up there. And I said, Mr. Steinbrenner, I'm Susan Waldman. Can I talk to you about something? And he would. And he did this for, like, months. And I, I think sometimes he waited for me before he went into the... <laughs> but the, how we became friends was that the first Christmas after I started on this beat in the late 80s, um, he always took the writers to a Christmas dinner, and I wasn't invited because I was a girl and I was radio. And I wrote a letter to him. And I was furious. And I said, um, I've called the sales department. This is what my 505 spot on WFAN sells for. This is how many people listen. I deserve to be listened to. And I demanded an interview. I'm coming down to Florida. I mean, I didn't tell him I was going to a spot, but I (laughs) I did. So I walk in and to the hotel and the thing is, is blaring and uh, it's George's secretary. um, Susan, George will see you tomorrow morning at 9.15. And by the way, I have Xeroxed that letter and sent it to every woman in the building. So I walk in and George says, all right, all right, this is who I am. I don't like women firefighters. I don't like women in sports. I don't like women in the military. I like women to look pretty and spend my money. And without... Thinking, I said, okay, I can do that. Now, heres I want to know about this pitching staff for this year. He started laughing just like you do, and that was the start of it. That was the start of it. He was very tough on me, very tough on me. Um, he was going to make sure that I could take what he knew was going to happen hmm. if I was here. And that was, yeah.
1: I mean, you've conquered everything.
6: Is there, <laughs> yeah, is
1: there anything that you want to accomplish yet?
6: Of course. I'm not quite sure what it is. I'm not done. I mean, this is not, you know, I'm not, I am never satisfied. I learned that from my mother. There's always something else to do. There's a big world out there. I'll find it. I'm not quite sure what it is yet, but, you know, you can see it. There's other, there's other things. There are other things that are, that are out there that are important now.
2: You know how much we love and respect (laughs) you. Thank you. Thank you. A lot of fun right there. Tom Hamilton and Susan Waldman, the uh, pioneering broadcaster for, the new york yankees stay with us when we come back we'll hear from guardian senior vice president bob DiBiasio as he takes a look back at one of the franchise's great players that's after this on the cleveland clinic guardians radio network
5: progressive snapshot can save you money based on how you drive and how much you drive so the safer you drive the more money you could save now if you didn't hear that because you were laying on the horn while driving let me say it again Are you a race car driver? Because if you are, you're in the wrong car and you took a wrong turn off the track a while ago. And all those cars you're trying to pass all save money with Progressive Snapshot, while you probably don't. So who's really winning? And if you did hear it the first time, nice work. You'd love Snapshot from Progressive because it rewards safe drivers. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates. Snapshot not available in California and North Carolina or from all agents.
6: Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help.
2: Welcome back to Guardians Weekly. Jim Rosenhouse with you for our final segment, and we welcome in Bob DiBiaseo, who for many, many years put together a series of interviews and labeled them Tribe Tales, and that they still kind of go along those lines. And obviously, we, we might have to change it up a little bit with the name change. But so let's listen into another classic from Guardian Senior Vice President Bob DiBiasio. <laughs>
1: It's time for another Tribe Tale with Bob DiBiaseo.
3: Joining me now on Tribe Tale's former Cleveland Indian first baseman outfielder, Jack of all trades, Mr. Pat Tabler. Patty, thanks for joining us today. Bobby, it is always a pleasure
0: to visit with you and come back to, really, this is my second home. Cleveland it's always been a second home I spent five and a half years here and it was probably five and a half of the best years I've ever had playing here you know I'm from Cincinnati so this was like home for me and I love coming back here
3: well you had a wonderful 12 year big league career as you said almost six years in a Cleveland Indians uniform but before we talk about those teams fun teams in the mid 80s you were a number one draft pick out of McNichols High School in Cincinnati by the New York Yankees. Was that something that you were expecting, that you'd be a number one draft pick? Well, you know,
0: Bobby, I was going to college to play basketball. I had offers from five or six different colleges. I had a chance to go to Indiana State and play with Larry Bird. I had a chance to go to the University of Tennessee and play with the Bernie and Ernie show, if you remember that. Cornbread Maxwell down at North Carolina Charlotte. Uh, But I had signed to play basketball at Virginia Tech University, and I was going to go. And then June draft came around, and the Yankees made me the first pick and the 16th overall pick. And I said, you know what? I think I got a better shot at baseball than I do at basketball. (laughs) So I just – I forego going to college. I forego – playing basketball and jumped right in with two feet playing playing baseball. It took a while because I hadn't played much baseball. I was more of a basketball player in high school. And I had only played three years of high school baseball. never played in the summertime. And uh, jumped in with both feet. Started playing year-round And it took me almost, oh, about five and a half years to get to the
3: big leagues. Well, the Yankees saw some athleticism in you, which is what we now look for, right? In athletes, to be all-around performers. What were you, a sharpshooter? You could nail it from anywhere? Bobby, I know you're a basketball guy. (laughs) I know you're a basketball guy.
0: Yes uh this was before the 3 point line. right it was so long ago you couldn't even dunk
3: in high school basketball <laughs> i mean that's we're talking ancient all right uh, but yeah we could we could shoot number 2 guard right? but your boys uh, got the basketball gene from you
0: yeah uh, yeah i got the uh, my my third son i've got four boys my third one just finished off a state championship here in ohio uh, we actually played Solon in, right. in the state championship a couple of weeks ago, and uh, they, they won that game. He goes to Moeller High School. They won, and he's, he's on the team. He, he doesn't play that much, but he's on the team, and he got to play at the end, so that was a lot of fun, a lot of fun to go watch. It.
3: And your boy uh, also played at Wright State, had a great yes. career there. Yep, Then so. I had another
0: one who played at Miami of Ohio, played yeah. baseball, so, you know, Like I said, the off-seasons go really fast in my house.
3: (laughs) So take us back to those teams in the mid-'80s, you know, with Joe Carter and Brooke Jacoby, Julio Franco. I mean, we just had so much fun at that period of time. It was such a topsy-turvy kind of team. 86, we win 84 games. Then in 87, cover of Sports Illustrated, we uh, lose 102 or something. Um, just your recollections of those times. You know you know what made that, at least for me, and I think a lot of the other guys who were there, what made it so
0: special is we were all in the same boat. We were all young players. We came from different organizations, and we finally had a chance to play in the major leagues in Cleveland. So we basically grew up together. Brett Butler and Brooke Jacoby came over from Atlanta. Atlanta. Joe Carter, Mel Hall came over from the Chicago Cubs. Julio Franco came over from the Phillies. Jay Bell came over from the Minnesota Twins. I came over from the Chicago White Sox. So all these young guys came together. We got a chance to play in the major leagues. You know, we didn't have a playoff type of team, but we had some exciting young players who could go out there and they they gave their heart and soul every night to try and do something special. it wasn't for a few years later that they finally got enough
3: hitting and they got enough pitching to put it together to have some championship teams like they have now. Absolutely. And we, 87 All-Star, that had to be a special season. It it was a lot of fun, and I always say, well, they had to pick somebody from every team, and
0: I got the guy to go. I got to go. And I remember it was out in Oakland, and the game started at 4 o'clock or something like that, so you couldn't see anything. And it's nothing to nothing. It's going into extra innings, and I finally got a chance to play. That was the year Mark McGuire was a, a rookie, and I was playing first base. And McNamara like, okay, you're going to go in at first base. I go, no, I'm not going in for Mike McGuire. They'll boo me right out of here. I said, you leave me all, I'll pinch hit later. <laughs> so I pinch hit, and it was nothing to nothing. is an extra innings, and I was like, okay, I'm going to take a pitch so they can talk about me on TV because <laughs> yeah, I'm on TV. Yeah. And the first pitch from Sid Fernandez was right down the middle. And I still see that in my nightmares, that first (laughs) pitch. And I let it go for strike one. I ended up striking out. (laughs) We lost the game. But I was there. It was a lot of fun.
3: Well, you were known as the guy that uh, was remarkable with the bases loaded. Can't do an interview with Mr. Pat Tabler without talking about clutch hitting when the bases were loaded. And you were just one hit shy of batting 500 with the bases loaded what's the secret there you know what now that i've had a chance to look back and think about it
0: i think a lot of those situations it's what's between your ears at that time a lot of people like pressure a lot of people don't like pressure i loved it i I loved when the game was on the line i loved that one-on-one battle with the with the pitcher and i kept telling myself you know the pressure's on the pitcher he's got to come to me he's got to throw a strike to me and I said, I'm not going to try and do too much. So I kept tra- trying to positively have thoughts, positive thoughts in my mind. And it helped me to relax. And I was lucky the ball found
3: found it out in the outfield. Well, it was a treat working with you, watching you play, Patrick, and obviously seeing you at fantasy camp all these years. And when you come visit when your TV duties with the Toronto Blue Jays, thanks for taking the time. Bobby, anytime. I love coming here. Pat Dabbler, our latest
2: drive tale. That's Guardians Senior Vice President Bob DiBiasio, and that's going to do it for this edition of Guardians Weekly. Thanks so much for tuning in, and thanks as always to Brian Matze for putting together our show each week. Until next week, this is Jim Rosenhouse reminding you that you've been listening to Guardians Weekly on the Cleveland Clinic Guardians Radio Network guardians weekly has been brought to you by
1: progressive helping guardians fans save hundreds on car insurance